0: The highest of heights to the depths of the sea
1: And as a good shepherd, David also did not want Jerusalem, which he had beautified, had spent a lot of money, had built it up to be he didn't want it to be a war zone. He wanted when Absalom came to Jerusalem, he didn't want bloodshed, he didn't want a lot of, you know, d- destruction of the city. He just kind of checked out and he just left. And his attitude was, if God wants to put me back on the throne, he is more than able to. But I'm not going to allow these people to suffer for what's happening in my family.
0: Welcome everyone, you're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today our scripture says, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. David knew well that Absalom was a ruthless man who valued power over principle. He didn't want the city of Jerusalem to become a battleground, so he fled the city. David shows himself as a true king of Israel by leaving the city so that he could save it from bloodshed and chaos. He also showed his faith in God this time by leaving the consequences to him who sits on the throne of heaven. Now here's Pastor Rob
1: of guess who Bathsheba, Bathsheba in second Samuel 11, verse three, it says, uh, so David sent when he had the affair with uh, Bathsheba, he sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said to him, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? And then in chapter 23 of this book, it says, Eliphelet, the son of Ahazbai, the son of Maacaphite, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilonite. So we see the family line here. So Amiel was her father, but her grandfather of Bathsheba was Ahithophel. And this would mean that, obviously, that he, he was the grandfather. And he certainly had motive, didn't he? to be angry with David, and yet he was David's counselor. He was one of the men that was highly esteemed. David looked up to him. And all the while, this man was just probably waiting for an opportunity to just see the cards come crashing down on David, waiting. And this was such a great opportunity because now Absalom, so cunning and so calculating, he waited and waited and waited. Now he's like, Ahithophel, I want to talk to you for a minute. I want to go take out David. This is how we're going to do it, and I need you to be on my side. And, and certainly Ahithophel a is thinking to himself, you know what, I'm with you all the way, buddy. He killed my son-in-law. Now my my daughter, my granddaughter, the firstborn son from her dies. He's got every motive in the world to be angry. In fact, in Psalm 41, David would write about this time in his life as he is going through this. And I love what he says in Psalm 41. You might want to write just Psalm 41 and maybe Psalm 55 off in the margin of your Bible because if you read those two Psalms in connection with this chapter around Ahithophel, it'll make a lot of sense because in Psalm 41 verse 9, Uh, David goes on, he says, "'Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, "'who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me.'" We believe that he's speaking of Ahithophel, this counselor of his, this good friend. And in Psalm 55, it says, "'For it was not an enemy,' and this is in verse 12, "'for it is not an enemy who reproached me, "'then I could bear it, nor is it the one who hated me, "'who has exalted himself against me, "'then I could hide from him. "'But it was you, a man, my equal.'" My companion and my acquaintance, we took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God in the throng. Let death seize them, let them go down alive into hell. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. And as for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and I cry aloud and he will hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. For there were many against me and God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old. And because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. And he has put forth his hands against those who are at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. Boy, this sounds a lot like not only Absalom, but certainly Ahithophel. Absalom being David's own son, and then Ahithophel being a, uh, a very respected, highly respected man. Verse 13, it says, Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And David either ignored this fact or he was completely unaware of it. We don't really know, but again, he was in this kind of what I would call a despondent state, not really being a good father, just kind of checking out. Just you know, the, the Lord was healing him, and he was just so wrapped up in his own thing that he just let the whole thing slide. He he probably if he did know that Absalom was stealing the hearts of the men of the city, he just he's like well, you know whatever but maybe he didn't know at all. We really don't know. And so David, verse 14, said to all the servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom and make haste to depart lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. A couple of things here to remember. Um, Again, David did nothing concerning the rape of Tamar by Amnon, and Absalom killed him. And, um, you know, Absalom and his treachery, stealing the hearts of the men of Israel. And the second thing to consider is, by leaving Jerusalem, David would also know who was really loyal to him, because they would probably continue to follow David, it's interesting that it was mostly foreigners who followed David, not his own countrymen. Do you find that? The, the Cherethites and the Pelethites and the Gittites, 600 of these men were foreigners. They were foreign mercenaries. Those are the guys that followed David as he left Jerusalem in fear of Absalom coming back to Jerusalem. And I love this because as a good shepherd, David, under duress, he leads those who are closest to him out of the way of danger into the wilderness Anticipating Absalom's overthrow, because if you were to look at a map of Jerusalem and you had it in front of you, and if you were looking at me and this was the map, Jerusalem lies here, in the Temple Mount. Then there's the the, the Kidron, uh, the brook Kidron, right there, and then on, and it, go, it goes down in elevation, then it goes up the hill over here to the Mount of Olives, and that's where David, we're going to see him taking his entourage, these 600 men and the immediate members of his family, from Jerusalem, from the palace there in Zion, down the hill into the Kidron, and then up the hill into, Mount of, into the Mount of Olives area, and then going further east into the wilderness of Judah, and then finally going to the Jordan River. And as a good shepherd, David also did not want Jerusalem, which he had beautified, had spent a lot of money, had built it up to be, he didn't want it to be a war zone. He wanted when Absalom came to Jerusalem, he didn't want bloodshed, he didn't want a lot of, you know, uh, destruction of the city. He just kind of checked out and he just left. And his attitude was, if God wants to put me back on the throne, he is more than able to, but I'm not going to allow these people to suffer For what's happening in my family. And I love that about David, that even in his duress, even in his greatest pain, one of the greatest pains, I believe, of his life, to still be caring for people. And see, that's what a good shepherd does, that's what Jesus does for you and I. He is the good shepherd. Right, does, it tells us that in John chapter 10. He is the good shepherd. He leads us out. He's the one. He's the example. He goes before us, protects us. He's the one who goes out into the field to make sure that we don't, we don't eat anything poisonous. He's the one who leads us in the green pastures where it's, the grass is plenty where we can feed. He leads us beside the still waters. That whole Psalm 23 just paints such a, a wonderful picture of serenity and peace and contentedness. I mean, have you ever seen a contented sheep before? I remember seeing a sheep, and just he had his legs tucked underneath him and his big fall, ball of fuzz, and he's sitting there, and just the cutest thing you'd ever see in your life. You know, they are really harmless. They, they, they don't even have really, I mean, they have teeth, but they don't, they don't attack. They, they're just like, what are they going to do? I mean, they, they can't even run away that quick either. But he he'd had his legs tucked up underneath him, and he's just ran, laying over like this with his mouth, and he's a big fat sheep. He's eating grass, you know, just pulling it out laying there all nice and comfortable. You know, he's got his L.L. Bean Wicked Good slippers on. He's got one of those nice blankets that are covering him. You know, the fireplace is crackling. You know, mulled cider is on the stove, whistling. Just a peace and comfort. And see, that's what Jesus, he brings to our soul, our life. He brings that peace, and I love that about him. But he is the good shepherd. But David, even in his duress... He's still a wonderful man of God and always looking out for not just himself, but more importantly, others around him. And so, verse 15, And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants. We're ready to do whatever the Lord my king commands. And happy is a king. Happy is a king or ruler who has people like this supporting him. And happy are the people who have a king who treats them and cares for them like David treated them. Had it been Saul, he would have said, yeah, you're on your own. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to save my own neck. And you guys can do what you want. But see, David had a different heart, and that's why God could use him mightily. And the Bible would still call him a man after God's own heart because of his character. Yes, he made mistakes. Have you made mistakes? I've made my, my share of mistakes, and guess what? I'm probably going to make more. I don't want to make more. But you're probably going to make some really bad mistakes. And aren't you glad that you, you can go to the mediator? You can go to Jesus and, and say, Lord, forgive me, I know what I did was wrong. And then you get it right. You go to the person you've offended and you confess it and you're re- hopefully your relationship can be restored. Sometimes that works out. I love it when it does, but sometimes it doesn't. But at least you get your heart right before God. You can't tell what somebody else is going to do, right? But too bad, right? It's an unfortunate thing when it doesn't happen. Verse 16, it says, But the king went out with all of his household after him, but the king left ten women. Notice, they were concubines to keep the house. And we're going to find that these are going to be the ten women that Absalom is going to defile on the top of the palace. And he's going to do it at the request, at the advice of the greatest counselor of Israel, Ahithophel. The man whose counsel was like oracles of God, he's going to tell Absalom, hey, you want to make sure that, you want to seal this deal, Absalom? Do you want to make, you want to kind of cement the deal when you come into Jerusalem? Here's what you do. You take your father's ten concubines as part of his harem, and you go in and you sleep with those ladies. And when you do that, you're sealing the deal. Everyone will know about it, and it's done at that point. You've crossed the Rubicon. There's no going back now. Verse 17 says, And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts of the city. That's what he's talking about. So you can see this. When I see this picture, I've had the blessed privilege, and I mean that with all my heart, of being to Israel on three different occasions. And seeing the land and seeing where this happened is so touching because even as I'm reading it, I can see it in my mind's eye. Of where David would come out of Zion, there, and they, and they found out where his palace used to be. It's actually south of the Temple Mount, where the Dome of the Rock is. It's on the southeast uh, side, down here by the, the Gahon Spring, and it's down there in his palace. They found it. It's there. You can visit it today. The remnants of it. But he, to see him, to see that this is the area where he left, and he went down into the Kidron, and then he goes up into the Mount of Olives, and then goes further into the Judean wilderness. And it's an area that David knew well because when he ran from Saul in his early days, he would often uh, find refuge in the hills and the clefts of the rock. And believe me, there are thousands of them along the shore of the, of the Jordan River down there by the Dead Sea. You can get lost. You can hide people in there and they'll never find them ever. I mean, it is that uh, incredible. And so David was taking these people Perhaps there, or perhaps even further east, across into what we would know as Transjordan today. But he's, uh, he, he stopped at the outskirts, and then in verse 18 it says, Then all of his servants passed before him, and all the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, and all the Gittites. The Gittites were men from Gath. These were Philistine mercenaries. These were the perennial enemies of Israel. And yet David, when he had that flirtation with the Philistines when he was... Uh, on the run from Saul, he actually gained the support and the love and the admiration of many of the men in in, in, of the Philistines. So these Gittites, these Philistines, they are loyal to David more so than the men of Judah. And so the Cherethites, these are bodyguards, the Cherethites, the, the Pelethites, and the Gittites. Notice, 600 men who had followed him from Gath. That's one of the five cities of the five major cities of the Philistines. And notice they passed before the king. And then the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king. For you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday, Ittai. Why why are you coming with me? You you just came, the date, you know, just yesterday. And I appreciate your loyalty, but you've got to go back and you've got to serve my son. Notice the resignation in David and all of this. As you read this, he's just like, you know, if God wants me back, he's going to bring me back. If he wants me to die, I deserve it. (laughs) That was David's heart. He's like, I deserve it as the consequence. I know I'm forgiven. I know where I'm going. Isn't that amazing? You know, the world hates a man like that. The world hates the fact that a Christian can make a mistake. A born-again believer can make a really horrible, horrible mistake, can sin in and, and, and something so public, and again, not to condone it, not to condone it at all, but when they do fall, the world hates it when the person truly repents. And maybe they have to take some time off, but then they get back into the game again. And boy, they hate that. What they really want, is for when the Christian to fall, they want God to send a lightning bolt and consume them and make a black spot on the pavement. See, that's what they want, but that's not what they get. Why is that? Because God is a God of grace, and he, all he cares about is the heart. Where is your heart? Is your heart a forgiving heart? Have you, forgiven, have, have you forgiven others like you have been forgiven? Jesus said, if you don't forgive people, neither will I forgive you. There's a heavy one that I don't even want to mess with because those are his words. It's important for us then to forgive, isn't it? To have a heart of forgiveness toward others. And Peter would say, how many times, Lord? Seven times? If if my brother does something against me, should I forgive him seven times? Thinking that, wow, Peter, that's an awesome number. It's a number of perfection, by the way. Good job. And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven not just 490 either he says you just keep forgiving because god you're, the god in heaven god the father has forgiven you more than that and i love that about god see that's his character doesn't that make you wanna fall in love with him even more doesn't that want doesn't that make you want more of him isn't his grace and his love irresistible it's sort of like who can resist that kind of love and grace it's a love that nobody understands because it is so it's not demonstrated perfectly here on the earth. Even the love of a father to a daughter or a son, if that relationship is really good, even that is pale in comparison to the love of God to one of his children. And I don't know about you, but that just sets me on fire. And I love the fact that God loves me in spite of me. He doesn't look upon Rob Kellogg. He looks upon Jesus, whose blood is covering me. He looks upon you because the blood of Christ covers you. Never forget that, especially when you're going through a a difficult time, especially when you're smarting from something that you've done. So this guy, he says, says, return and take your brethren back, and mercy and truth be with you. And so he was the commander of of the Gittites. And uh, we're going to see later on in this chapter, in just a couple chapters over, that David is going to give this man, he's going to make him a third, uh, the commander over a third of his army, this faithful man who is a Philistine from Gath. He's going to give him authority over a third of his army. I love that but Etai answered the king and said as the lord lives and as my lord the king lives surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be whether in death or in life even there also your servant your servant will be do you hear the loyalty in this guy the loyalty and the service this kind of loyalty is very rare today you know happy is the employer who has an employee who's really loyal you know it used to be that way and i don't know what happened but many years ago you know, when the world was a different place. You know, there could be a, a man in a Fortune 500 company who had people all around him that were loyal to the company. And they would, they, would, they would take the overtime because it was good for the company. And they would do these things for the company. And then when it came time for layoffs and things like that, they would spare their most loyal constituents. And now you're just a number. It doesn't matter. I mean, you may, get un, you may be able to pass through a few of those things, but ultimately, everybody's expendable. <laughs> it seems, anyway. They don't like it, but they have to come to you and they say, you know what, my boss is telling me that I've got to let you go. That's the last thing I want to do. I'd rather leave my job, but I've got five kids and a wife who's pregnant, and you know, a kid's got needs, and you're single. I'm really sorry, but I can't. I'd love to take the position for you know and be in your spot, but I can't. I gotta let you go. But this loyalty that this man had for David. It reminds me of the same loyalty that we see uh, Ruth that Ruth had when Naomi. Remember in the book of Ruth? When Naomi was returning from Moab and she brought her two daughters-in-law with her because her sons. Naomi's sons, who were married to these two Moabite women, they had died in Moab, and so Naomi and her two daughters, Ruth and the uh, other one—I forget her name—they they they, they go back to Jerusalem. And halfway, you know, through the trip, Naomi looks at Ruth and she goes, "You know, why are you staying here? I, I can't raise up other children for you. Go back to your family and back to your people." And I'm so glad that Ruth stuck it out. She said this, she says, Entreat me not to leave you. This is Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. This is a Gentile speaking, a pagan Gentile who lived in a pagan environment. She's like, I want, and then she goes on. And your people shall be my people and your God my God. I'm going to leave all my idols and I'm going to follow you, Naomi. There's something about your life and I'm loyal to you and I'm going to die where you die and wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your God, I'm going to serve because I see the God. I see the influence of that God on your life and He is real. All this other stuff is just a bunch of nonsense, but Him I will serve. And finally, she couldn't dissuade her, so finally, Ruth comes with her. But I love that, just the loyalty. The loyalty. And so David, and remember Ruth, just as a side note, Ruth is David's great-grandmother. She married Boaz. And then you go down through the genealogy, it's written in a couple places. She was the great-grandmother. This Gentile woman was the great-grandmother of Jesus Christ. I love that. People put labels on people. But God says, I could care less about all that. I'm not worried about that. You think God was wringing his hands going, oh, no, they're getting together. How am I going to get out of this? He's like, no, I knew that was going to happen. He didn't make it happen. He knew it was going to happen. And God knows exactly what he's doing. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. Nobody else like him. The devil's none of those things, by the way. Our God is an all-powerful God. There's none like him. Like we sing tonight, there's no one like him.
0: I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday at area code 585